Welcome back to Let's Talk About Women, a podcast where we talk about women's mental health across the reproductive lifespan. My name is Franziska Weinmar and I'm a doctoral candidate of the International Research Training Group 2804. And with this podcast, we want to share insights from interdisciplinary research on women's mental health. Today we're recording our second remote podcast episode and I'm honored to introduce you to our today's guest who is with us from Madrid, Dr. Magdalena Martinez-Garcia, who is a postdoctoral researcher at Susana Camona's lab in Gregorio Maranon Hospital in Madrid in Spain. And she has studied biotechnology and neuroscience and until now she has conducted seven years of research on neuroscience of human pregnancy using longitudinal studies of mothers and neuroimaging techniques. Magdalena, I'm very happy you so quickly agreed to be on our show and I'm especially excited that we have the chance to delve more into this fascinating research on the pregnant and also the parental brain today. Thank you for, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk about this. In this podcast, we will use the term women to refer to females whose sex matches their gender and mothers to refer to females who were pregnant and gave birth to their children. As in every episode, before we dive into the state of art research of neuroscience during pregnancy and parenthood, let's set some foundations first so that everyone listening can follow us. When focusing on the woman who is pregnant, what is happening during pregnancy in her body? Pregnancy, I think we all agree that is a really transformative um, event of a lifetime. In just nine months, every organ of the mother adapts, um, like some organs um, displace, uh, others change its size um, and they change its function all to support the baby's growth and birth. And to give some examples, uh, blood volume increases, some muscles become more elastic, um, the lumbar spine curves, um, the uterus grows and like pressing other organs, the breasts grow and they uh, produce milk, right? Um, and the immune system also goes through different phases from pro-inflammation to anti-inflammation to support the development of, of the baby and also childbirth. And even a new organ appears like the placenta and this, this organ provides nutrients and oxygen to the growing baby. And all these changes are um, coordinated by different hormones whose levels increase to huge levels, like levels unmatched by any other period of a woman's life. Yeah. And if you want to, to know more about uh, the brain, if you want me to introduce uh, how also the brain changes, I can also tell you a little bit more about that. I think we'll go there in a second. But I think, first of all, it's really nice to just have this baseline of a lot of, a lot of things are changing in the body of the woman. Um, spe specifically also to support the baby but then also of course in the surrounding of the mother a lot of things happen as well like psychosocial changes there's a lot coming with motherhood and parenthood of course too mm -hmm. and 
before we now really dive into the brain of the mother, uh, we will talk a lot about the concept of neuroplasticity. So I want to ask you, can you explain what that is, this concept, and what can we understand as neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity um, or brain plasticity is the intrinsic ability of our brain to change, to adapt, which is something um, essential for our lives. And this allows our brain to respond to internal cues, most of them mediated by the hormonal system, but also to respond to environmental cues, like life experiences. And how do uh, the brain changes or make these adaptive changes basically by changing its structure. So neuroplasticity involves changes in different structural properties of brain cells, such as the density of, um, of postsynaptic receptors or dendritic spines, um, dendritic branches, the soma size, and they result in functional changes in brain circuits, basically. And It also involves changes in the number of brain cells. So I think everyone is familiar with the concept um, neurogenesis. So this, this neurogenesis would also fall into the neuroplasticity um, definition. Yeah. The neurogenesis referring to the growth of new cells, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's very important also to, to keep in mind that neuroplasticity is not just something that happens with this one mechanism, but several different things are actually ongoing. And I think much of the things we haven't really uncovered how they work, but uh, just in general, there's a lot of complexity in the concept of neuroplasticity and it can happen via different mechanisms and routes. Yes, and different scales too. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Of course, yes. But perfect, now that we're all on the same page about this, I think we can jump into the state of art research. And you have already briefly mentioned that there is something going on in the brain of the woman being pregnant, the mother. And lots of these changes we can also see and track in humans with magnetic resonance imaging. Also, the abbreviation for that is the MRI. And yeah, I just have to mention that you have just published a really amazing study on women's neuro neuroplasticity during gestation, childbirth, and postpartum in nature neuroscience, in which you have examined brains of more than 100 women during pregnancy. And it's just incredible. And I'm sure you will tell us also a little bit about these findings uh, when I'm asking you. Can you tell us more about brain changes? That is the neuroplasticity during pregnancy. That is, how does the maternal brain change and where? Of course. Um, before explaining you that in detail, I think that it's worth mentioning that a little bit more about neuroplasticity, how this uh, neuroplasticity works, uh, because, um, of course, there's a basal level of neuroplasticity in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, like our brains are continuously changing with our experience, with our life, right? But, but in addition, we also see enhanced neuroplasticity when our brains are um, recovering, for instance, from an injury or during what we call sensitive periods, like adolescence, for instance. Um, so sensitive periods are life windows when critical cognitive mild milestones need to be developed. 
uh, that translate into several behavioral or social changes in, in the person. And findings from our field, um, on rodent studies and human studies, they indicate that pregnancy might be an additional sensitive period where we see enhanced neuroplasticity. And that's why we talk about neuroplasticity during pregnancy. I thought that was uh, worth mentioning. Absolutely. So, first of all, I'd like to say that my expertise is in humans, but of course there are many studies describing how the maternal brain changes in rodents. And these, these studies um, are, can be ex, ex vivo, in vivo, and some recent, recent studies by um, Dr. Catherine Dulac and Dr. Johannes Cole have um, unveiled like the pool of neurons that really control the activation of uh, the maternal brain circuit or the circuit that is behind the maternal care in rodents. And that's really exciting too, but that's not uh, what I'm, what I'm going to talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about human mothers and uh, the results of our studies, longitudinal studies, where we track mothers at different stages of motherhood and we, we scan them with, with the MRI, as you said. So I'll start from the beginning of our research. It was 2017. In this year, my supervisor, Dr. Susana Carmona, together with Dr. Elserin Huexema, I think you might not know her, and Dr. Oh, Erika Barba. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, they scanned first-time mothers before pregnancy and then again at two months postpartum, and they observed an uh, more or less a 3% decrease in gray matter volume between, between these two points, right? Like pre-pregnancy and postpartum. Mm -hmm. These decreases in gray matter, which, which is um, a, a brain's tissue, they affected widespread uh, brain regions, but they were especially prominent within the default mode network, which is a network that is involved in self-perception and but also social cognition in general. So this finding is surprisingly solid for the neuroscience field where there's a lot of variability and has been actually replicated with a larger sample of mothers by a study of Dr. Elselin Huexema. She published this other study last year um, or two years ago. And uh, her new study also found that this brain remodeling was accompanied by increases in coherence or synchronization of the functional connectivity within this network that I said, the default mode network. So it's not only the structure that changes over the uh -huh. course of pregnancy or basically before versus after birth, but also the findings that it's the functional connectivity, so how the brain parts communicate, right? Exactly, how, how different um, uh, regions of the brain are activated at, at a certain point. So that's what we call the synchronization between um, brain mm -hmm. regions. That's also altered um, during pregnancy. And it's what I gather also, as you said, the replication, that is something uh, where you have a different independent sample and you just see the same findings. And of course, this is 
just supporting the evidence because often in, in neuroscience research you do see one study finding this and the other study finding that but in that in that case in an independent sample you see the same findings which kind of also leads us to believe okay this is something that's not only considering this specific group but probably due to the pregnancy in humans exactly yeah mm -hmm. it, it um the fact that we are replicating this finding makes us consider that this is a gen like a universal phenomenon maybe this is too big of a statement but that it's a phenomenon that applies to mothers in general not just our sample yeah so the thing is that um, the story is a little bit more complicated than that um, because in our studies we have found these gray matter decreases when we scanned mothers before pregnancy and then after pregnancy but then there are other researchers um, dr piljong kim dr aileen luthers dr nina lisovsky they have done similar longitudinal studies but they scanned mothers during the postpartum so at different points of early postpartum and they actually found the opposite trend so they found mm -hmm. gray matter increases which is the opposite of what we found so we uh, in our group we started thinking that maybe both findings were were coherent that maybe the maternal brain changes were not linear, were not just mm -hmm. like gray matter decreases, but maybe there's kind of like a walk some way during the maternal transition. In, in particular, we hypothesized, we hypothesized like, what if we have first decreases and then increases, which makes sense because actually after childbirth, like pregnancy and postpartum are two periods uh, that differ in many, many things, right? Like in the hormones, in the also in the immune environment and in the experience that you're having, of course. Of course, yeah. So it made sense that these maternal brain changes were not linear. Mm -hmm. But to empirically answer that question, we needed to conduct other studies. And we've, that's what we've been doing the past years. So. The first one is the article that you just mentioned, the one that we just published um, this month. This study, um, I co-authored it with my colleague, Maria Paternina. She was behind all the analysis. And in this study, we scanned, again, first-time mothers, but this time in late pregnancy and then in early postpartum. So slightly different time slot. And also I have to I have to mention that that this is something that is not usually done. I think more and more it's being done, hopefully. But many mm -hmm. of the studies that you also referred to in the past, they have scanned the mothers before being pregnant and after birth. So when they're not pregnant anymore. But now you did this huge study in which you also have these many women scanned during their during pregnancy. pregnancy. Exactly. Yeah. At late pregnancy. Yes, that was a gap in the literature because uh, scanning mothers before pregnancy and then after preg pregnancy, we couldn't really know if the gray matter changes that we observed were due to pregnancy, childbirth, or <laughs> their postpartum. So that's why we designed this new study. And we found support for this dynamic nonlinear trajectory that, that I was telling you about. We found that the gray matter reductions that we observed in the previous study were already present during late pregnancy compared to a group of 
childless women. But then in the early postpartum period, we saw that these differences diminished. So the gray matter increases that these authors find in the postpartum, maybe they actually reflect some kind of rebound from the mm -hmm. gray matter decreases of pregnancy. I don't know if, that's, if that makes sense. I can um, explain better if you want. Um, so our next step is to really trace the trajectory. And to do that, we actually need a preconception scan. Mm -hmm. So we have now this project, the Be Mother project, with a, a group of Dr. Oscar Villarroya. Uh, Villarroya, he's a collaborator. And here we will scan, we, well, we have scanned mothers before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and then after pregnancy, which is like the final design that we needed to resolve the puzzle. Really complement and yeah. Um, mm -hmm. we, yeah, it took us a lot to recruit this sample, but mm -hmm. we are, yeah, I think we, we will be ready to publish the results soon. That's great to hear. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. And also referring now the just published study. So if I understood correctly, it's really that you with this study can say, well, these changes in the brain, they're not due to the childbirth or the immediate postpartum, but you'd see these changes too before childbirth. So something is exactly. happening in the brain during pregnancy. And again, like I think there's a lot more also to uncover what happens during the different trimesters. So depending on when mm. you would scan the mother during the first trimester, second trimester, now you scan during third trimester, which is close more closely to birth then mm -hmm. it would of course also be interesting to see how the dynamics because as you describe it's probably not linear and how and when do the changes happen so i think that's also something to be uncovered soon or in the future but because i really like or i'm very much interested in the concept of the dynamic neuroplasticity that is related to motherhood I would like to know if the brain changes of mothers reverse at some point or do they stay forever? This is actually one of our next objectives as a research group uh, to find out how long this brain remodeling persists. Um, the evidence so far says that yes and no, like the rate of rebound in the postpartum period depends on the brain network you're looking at. So basically changes in some networks seem, seem to persist longer than others. For instance, in this study we just published, we found that pregnancy gray matter decreases during pregnancy affected more or less every brain network, but then some networks like the attentional one, ones, sorry, um, recovered faster than others, uh -huh. like the okay. default mode network, actually. And that might be why we've seen decreases in the default mode network long after the postpartum period, which is what we found in our initial studies. So for mm -hmm. instance, the paper in, uh, of uh, Dr. Elselin Hoeksema in 2017, they found decreases in the default mode network long after the postpartum period uh, at two years postpartum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, we re-scanned a small sample of mothers of that initial study mm -hmm. 
at six years postpartum, and we found that the reductions, the premature reductions in the default mode network also persisted at that time, so at six years postpartum. Um, beyond the six years postpartum, we still don't know what happens, like mm -hmm. no study has gone that far. But we do have evidence from other type of studies. These are what we call cross-sectional studies. They are not longitudinal. They take the images of a group of mothers and then they compare it to a group of non-mothers. So these studies led by Dr. Anne-Marie Delange, maybe you also know her, mm -hmm. they took MRI images of middle-aged mothers and non-mothers from the UK Biobank, mm -hmm. uh, so thousands of images, and they saw associations between the number of pregnancies those mothers had and structural uh, patterns associated with brain aging in general. So this is fascinating because this means that the gray matter changes might be permanent, but we still need longitudinal studies that track women actually from like across their uh, reproductive lifespan to confirm these these hypotheses. Um, that would be the ideal project. Of course. And I think, yeah, yeah. also the, the factor that you mentioned, it's not probably only the one time that you're pregnant and then your brain is a mother brain or something, but it's really about this also the amount of pregnancies that you've undergone. So if you've been twice pregnant, three times, four times, or just one time, so that can definitely have an impact on how your brain changes. And also, as you beautifully said, some of the changes do reverse, but some might really stay for a very long time. We, we, we cannot say forever because that's probably yeah. how we like lacking the data but i think it's quite impressive to then also see in the longitudinal studies that six years after giving birth the changes can still be observed to some extent yes and um even if um if these studies they found the correlations with the number of pregnancies i must say that this could mean two things actually this could mean that the pregnancy hormones or pregnancy factors have what we call organizational effects on the brain structure mm -hmm. that extend far beyond the period of hormonal exposure. But this could also uh, be a reflection of the lifelong process of parenting, right? Like parents never stop parenting. Um, once a parent, always a parent. So uh, we really don't know if these associations are due to pregnancy itself or parenting or maybe both. Yeah, that's a good point, um, because you also re explained before when uh, talking about the neuroplasticity concept, neuroplasticity is not only changed by the biological or like the hormonal factors associated, but also the experience that you bring or have during your life. That's true. But because you already mentioned that the default mode network that is associated to the perception, also the self-perception, if I understood correctly, that is something that you quite prominently or repeatedly now saw that is changing during the pregnancy or as a mother. And I would like to go more into the function of these brain changes or the neuroplasticity for the mother to be. What what happens or what why? Can we say something about why these changes happen, what their function is? 
<clears throat> yeah, and this is um, the big question, I think, of all this literature. Yeah, as you said, we have found many times uh, changes in this default mode network. And I, I told you it's involved in self-perception and social cognition. So if we theorize about what that might mean, we always think about how motherhood is such a transformative experience, not only physically, but also psychologically. And your identity completely changes to embrace mm -hmm. your babies. Mm -hmm. So we in in our group we 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 do have that hypothesis right like uh, this could be behind these neurobiological changes could be behind that identity transition so to speak uh but we also have uh other hints of what this uh, brain remodeling might mean uh, for instance we know that the gray matter reductions predict the self-report measures of the maternal bond with the infant, and they are associated with greater brain activations when mothers view different stimuli from their infants. And all of these are signs of adaptation to motherhood somehow, because maternal behavior is an adaptation to motherhood. And um, from another study that we conducted in 2019, we also know that these brain changes are really similar to those occurring during adolescence, which, like I said before, is another neural transition where behavioral and cognitive milestones are reached. But although these are all signs of adaptations, the thing is that we still don't fully under understand this link between brain changes and maternal behavior. Uh, I wish I could tell you more, but we don't exactly know how these structural changes in the human brain really translate into behavior. Like animal models can, um, you know, connect these two things easily, mm -hmm. not easily, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, it's, it's possible. But in humans, we still have that question to answer. Yeah. Of course, it's super complex, but I think you very well said or described that it's basically can be associated to the preparing for the role of the mother or, or just a bond with the infant, which is something also from an evolutionary perspective is probably exactly. also very important um, and also yeah needed for the baby to, to, to survive in the first place. And also, I really love seeing also motherhood as a, another transition also during the lifespan as adolescence too. And I think there's also the term, isn't it matricense something matricense, that you, yes. that you kind of have another change and it, it's not like one month, uh, nine months and then you're through with it, but it's really like this development into a new stage of life, probably. Yes. Yes, a new stage of life uh, with non-reversible non changes uh, in your identity. Yes. Yeah, very beautiful. But also and at this point, because we, we, we talked about it in a very positive and beautiful light, when hearing that the brain shrinks and hearing that gray matter volume is decreasing during and after pregnancy and mostly especially in some of these networks it kind of stays like this this can sound quite scary to those who are not very familiar with the concept and 
maybe someone thinks, oh, this is a bad thing because gray matter volume is shrinking, the volume is shrinking. What can we say to these people? Is it true that less cortical volume is less function? I mean, we also kind of talked already that we're having new functions, but it sounds quite scary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the general public and the media has often misinterpreted our findings. Um, they have interpreted gray matter reductions as something bad, negative mm-hmm. for the mother's brain health. And I think this is fair because aging and neurodegenerative disorders are often associated with atrophy, right? But as this review by Dr. Jody Paulouskis um, say, less can be more. And this is <laughs> true not only for the maternal brain, but as a neuroscience principle. Like there are plenty of examples where a decrease in a brain feature turns into a functional improvement or some or something positive at the behavioral level. And one example of this is the synaptic pruning that happens during adolescence, which refines the circuits of the of the adolescent. And I think that the fact that pregnancy is very frequently thought as a moment when mothers like lose cognitive abilities, like this mommy brain phenomenon mm-hmm. has also fueled this misinterpretations because people have uh, seen our studies as a neurobiological explanation for for that mm. and nothing farther from the truth. Claire Ma- Dr. Claire McCormack says in this uh, viewpoint um, that we need, we need to rebrand the term mm. mommy brain exactly. to, cover, to cover all the milestones achieved by mothers, which I think are um, huge. And as researchers, we, we are focusing on that. We are focusing on, on what we learn during this process. Mothers, uh, they learn to take care of a developing human, which is incredible. Mm. And it's true that mothers may have these momentary memory losses across pregnancy. But what review says is that these uh, like behavioral uh, or like memory losses, they don't affect uh, your day to day function. And they actually they make sense because motherhood entails a huge cognitive load, right? And for instance, Dr. Edwina Orcat, she wrote this review paper that I love. I think it's called Matrosense, Lifelong Cognitive Changes Across Motherhood or something like that. And she argues that because motherhood entails this huge cognitive load, eventually in late life, there's Mm -hmm. also an increased cognitive reserve she defines, um, I have this on my notes, she defines cognitive reserve as the brain's ability to cope with damage, illness, and cognitive decline by recruiting pre-existing cognitive processes. So again, this is something healthy for your brain. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically the the new challenges, the new functions, the the increased cognitive load that you're also facing as a mother, but of course also as a parent, that's something that can later on help you to be more, to have more cognitive reserve, to be more capable to face challenges in life. Can we say it like that? 
And that, of yes. course, for this, the brain is changing because, again, it's the neuroplasticity process. Somewhere the cognitive changes and adaptations have to be. And it's really the, the, the fine-tuning of the brain that's happening, perhaps, during pregnancy. Yes. Very nice. Uh, I know that we tapped a little bit into this already and I, it's kind of also difficult to establish the exact processes during human pregnancy but can we say something about how these changes come about in the human maternal brain that is what are the mechanisms of the changes during human pregnancy in humans um, we can say very little unfortunately uh, because the the resolution of the MRI is one millimeter, like mm -hmm. the pixel or the, as we call it, the voxel is one millimeter, which can seem like super little, but actually it contains like thousands and thousands of brain cells, including neurons, glia and blood vessels. So it's really difficult to know what these gray matter changes mean at the molecular level mm -hmm. or at the cellular level. And of course, there is data from like other MRI modalities other than the structural one that are allowing us to construct the, the puzzle in terms of uh, the nature of this brain remodeling. But findings are still not very conclusive and I think we still need more resolution. I think that's the our hope to have more resolution in, in the future to see what's happening inside the brain. So at this point, I think we, we are all we can do to infer the neural mechanisms behind these green matter changes is from rodent models. Mm -hmm. uh, rodent uh, studies indicate that the maternal transition and the parental transition in general involves neuroplasticity changes at different scales. As I said before, the neuroplasticity can happen at different scales. And these, and these changes um, in general reflect this fine-tuning you were uh, telling about. Um, so these changes include alterations in small features like increased density of the spines and increased arborization of the dendrites, but then also larger changes like decreases in hippocampal neurogenesis, for instance, which is um, interesting. But actually, none of these changes are prominent enough to be really the cause of the pronounced gray matter changes we observe in humans. Like there must be something else. And one hypothesis we have now points at uh, glial cells instead of neurons. So this work by Dr. Benedetta Leuner indicates that microglia, microglia, which are the brain's immune cells, are also affected during the transition to motherhood. So their, uh, her lab found decreases actually in microglial pro proliferation, so proliferation of microglia mm. cells across pregnancy and the postpartum in different regions related to maternal care. So different regions that uh, have been found to participate in this circuit of maternal care in rodents and this actually matches what we find, find because it, they also see decreases. So that's one hypothesis that maybe glial cells might also contribute to these um, gray matter changes. But yeah, we still need to dig more into that. 
That's just absolutely fascinating and interesting that really being able to tap into the exact cells that are being changing, the exact processes that are changing and how they're also then again influenced by probably it's a huge interaction, of course, an interplay of hormones and how they interact then with these cells and the microglia and yeah, absolutely fascinating. And I can only probably say that um, as I also talked in another episode with Lisa Galea about the translational research that we need, we need the research also in animal models to have a look at what is actually happening here during pregnancy and for that we cannot do human research probably it's really based on um, the animal models that we have to tip tip into the tiny processes that are undergoing uh, during pregnancy yeah i think that um, especially in this field in the maternal brain field I would love more collaboration between animal researchers and human researchers. Um, we all know each other and we uh, meet in congresses and everything and we write reviews together, but it would be great to really do parallel studies in rodents and humans to answer the same questions. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would be the goal of translational research at some point, indeed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. So in the second part of our talk, I want to move to neuroscience of uh, research on newly parents beyond the biological mother, that is often fathers, but of course, as well, same sex parents, adoptive parents or non biological parents or secondary caregivers too. And just for the sake of simplicity, I will refer to this group in the following conversation that we're having as fathers. But of course, every one of these other groups is as well included. And it's not surprising that the transition to parenthood can be transformative for anyone with a new baby because lots of things are changing, as you already said, and they affect many parts of life. As we talked about now, the pregnancy-related hormonal changes, they might also help to explain why the brain of a woman is changing during pregnancy. And we tapped into the functions, uh, what of these changes could be, namely to support motherhood as well, taking care of and bonding with the child. But what about fathers? So they do not undergo pregnancy, but more and more also the fathers, they become involved with their newborns too. Can we say something about biological changes and specifically the brain during the transition to fatherhood? And is there something that we can explain more about any kind of changes. So my main focus of research is actually the neuroscience of pregnancy. So I know more about um, gestational mothers than, sorry, than uh, fathers or non-gestational parents in general. But we have also explored fathers um, as a control group in our studies to isolate the influence of everything outside the pregnancy experience mm -hmm. so to isolate the influence of the parental experience itself like caregiving and sleep changes and everything that happens during the transition to parenthood other than the pregnancy itself which is a lot yeah. and uh, I, I must say that we have used fathers but recently we are also using other types of uh, non-gestational parents uh, we can talk about that more if you are interested in that. So for instance, in our initial study 
in in 2017, well, I did not participate in this study. Mm -hmm. I always say we because Susana Carmona led it, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so in this study, they included a control group of first-time fathers, and they found no significant brain changes in the first-time fathers compared to a, like a group of childless males, right? Mm -hmm. But then we thought after after that article was published that this might be because they used a really restrictive threshold to do all the analysis because the brain changes in mothers were so powerful and so mm -hmm. widespread that they had to use that cut to kind of like see something more clear in the in the findings but then years later uh, with again my colleague Maria Paternina we reanalyzed this cohort of of fathers using a less restrictive threshold and we actually observed that fathers displayed also gray matter reductions like mothers but they were not as pronounced than those of mothers and we actually replicated this finding with another cohort of, of fathers from California and they they come from Dr. Darby Saxby's lab. She's uh, an expert of the paternal brain and I collaborated with her during my predoctoral stay and we replicated this finding with her father. So uh, it appears that these uh, brain changes in fathers are also, you know, like kind of like global, they not only apply to our sample, but different samples. And we interpreted these findings as evidence that both pregnancy factors and then postpartum factors related to the parental experience have an impact on the parental brain somehow, which is something that um, animal literature has actually been arguing for many decades now. Mm -hmm. like. Researchers like Dr. Um, Michael Newman have described how the maternal brain circuit is primed right before childbirth by hormonal factors, but then it needs uh, continuous contact with the offspring to keep this maternal behavior activated, right? So okay. if we translate these findings into humans, mm -hmm. maybe part of these gray matter reductions we observe might be elicited by postpartum factors, like by parenting experience, by being in touch, uh, in physical uh, contact with your baby. And this opens up like a new line of research to understand which postpartum factors have the most influence. Like, is it the time spent with the baby or is mm -hmm. not um, like the quantity of time, but rather the quality of that time that you spend so maybe you spend less time with the, with your baby, but the time you spend is a really good time spent. Like you're really, you know, like taking care of that baby. And also if uh, we, we still need to know if uh, perhaps the mental health of the postpartum is a protective factor or a risk factor for, for this association. And if that happens, what can we do to protect the mental health of, of parents during the transition, during this transition? That's like the next uh, frontier of research, I think, in terms of uh, studying parents in general, uh, not only gestational mothers. 
Yeah, that is uh, very interesting as well to, to just see that, as you also described, well, there are some brain changes as well in the fathers that can probably be more explained to the experience-induced plasticity that they're facing or the interaction with the child later on um, or the prep in preparation of the things before the childbirth. Uh, I would I would come for a first, like the, the last question for this part at least, and that is why it is important to understand how the brain during pregnancy and parenthood changes and adapts. Maybe it's, sometimes it's a question that comes very easy because we as researchers think that, of course, we have to know. But is there something like the, the aim that we're going for? Like, why is it important to understand how the brain changes? Yeah, that question I know because we always have to uh, justify for our projects <laughs> why this is important. <laughs> we have to convince uh, funding ad agencies. Yeah. So, yeah, we like when when I talk about this, I always say like there's uh, the basic research point of view and then there's the clinical point of view. Okay, mm -hmm. so from a basic research point of view, um, as I said in the beginning, pregnancy is one of the most, if not the most intense neuroendocrine um, event of a lifetime. So I think that studying pregnancy is a great natural experiment to understand the brain's ability to have um, hormone-directed remodeling. And since almost 80% of females undergo pregnancy at least once in their lives, I think that studying the brains of pregnant women is actually a great proxy for the female brain in general. And, and females, we represent 50% of the population. So there you have like the importance of this research. And if we talk about uh, uh, the parenthood experience in general, which includes not only gestational mothers, but also all the array of non-gestational uh, parents, this knowledge can have even a bigger impact, right? And and then from a clinical point of view, I think that studying uh, the brain during pregnancy is crucial to, um, to understand the neural basis of perinatal mental disorders, like, like perinatal depression, uh, which are really, really common in mothers. One in, in every five mothers develop perinatal depression, so it's really common. Mm. And um, if we explore the interaction between the brain, um, the hormonal system, and also the immune system that I didn't talk about uh, that much, but it's also really interesting because it also influences neuroplasticity, if we explore the interaction of these systems during healthy pregnancies, then um, eventually we, 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 we will be able to understand what might go wrong mm. in the brains of mothers that suffer from perinatal depression. Or, for instance, we could also seek markers during pregnancy that help us uh, predict that disease. So. If we have those markers, we can put in place preventive strategies. Yeah. These are just so many convincing reasons to go further and to study the pregnant and the parental brain in the future, I would say. At least for me, I'm like 100% convinced, but maybe I'm a bit biased. But I hope that also others listening 
um, see the importance of this research that you and also all the other colleagues are doing. And before we come to my favorite and final question, I want to briefly summarize what we've just talked about in maybe three points or sections that we've covered. And that is that first we've talked about the pregnant brain, effects of pregnancies on women's brains, which are quite profound and as you beautifully described as well, probably not linear, but rather dynamic. And here we know or see in the first evidence that's coming up that neural structure is remodeling over the course of pregnancy and likely over the course of pregnancy, not only due to childbirth. And probably what we assume now is that these changes do support behavioral adaptations that are tied to motherhood. And while some of these brain changes, they can still be observed years after giving birth. Some do readjust or recover after pregnancy in the postpartum. And as it seems now, it really depends on which kind of regions we're looking at and which kind of networks we're looking at. And I really want to highlight once more that having said before, the remodeling of the quote unquote mommy brain is not at all something that can be associated with something negative, but rather can be associated to functional improvement, especially in the realm of cognitive reserve. And I think that's a very good point to take from this. And secondly, we briefly tapped into changes in your structure that are found in fathers or secondary caregivers as well. However, these seem to be not as pronounced as in the biological mothers. And still, we likely can associate them to the experience-induced plasticity based on the parenting and the brain function that can adapt and change with probably, for example, things like increased time spent with caring for the infant and interacting also with the newborn that might then lead to these changes that are observed at least now very much on the cortical level. And lastly, considering the neuroscience of parenthood, more research, as you also highlighted, is needed to understand the parental brain and the plasticity and specifically the underlying mechanisms that we know so little about, specifically in humans. And this might eventually help us to reveal the role and the function of this plasticity and help us to gain insight into how these adaptations also deviate and lead to disorders or adjustment difficulties. And also when exactly the brain or the mother is susceptible to illness, for example, peripartum depression, which is more common that some of us might know or realize. And this might also then help us to support the mother, prevent something, support also the secondary caregiver who may be at risk for having troubles later on. And with all that being said, I would like to look ahead and come to my final question. That is, what is the next step or the next question in research on this adaptive brain during pregnancy and parenthood? And how can this research also contribute to enhance our understanding of women's health during this period in the female lifespan? So I actually think that uh, you have already answered this question beautifully one minute ago with all the neural me mechanisms. But uh, yeah, there are many, many questions. That's why I love this research because, well, unfortunately, we are right in the beginning, but that also means that we have 
everything to discover um but if i had to choose like the the main ones for me i think that the frontier in neuroscience of pregnancy right now is to uncover the neural mechanisms um as you said behind these large-scale brain changes that we observe in mothers like we need to know if they reflect a neural process a glial process mm -hmm. maybe a neurovascular process or a combination of all of them we we need to know that in order to understand the functional meaning of this brain remodeling so i would say that's the the first frontier of research um, and not only the the neural mechanisms but also like the neural mechanisms in in, in like uh, in relation with the timing right like tracking the trajectories and the neural mechanisms through that trajectory. But then I think that another frontier of research is to investigate the impact of pregnancies or multiple pregnancies or parenting in um, our lifelong brain trajectories or brain aging. Mm -hmm. Because more and more research is uncovering the influence of reproductive hormones and um, inflammation uh, which are altered during pregnancy in brain aging trajectories and in neurodegenerative diseases that are typical in old age like Alzheimer's disease which happen to be more prevalent in women and if you want to know more about this I know that Dr. Claudia Barth and Dr. Lisa Galia they have wonderful reviews explaining this phenomenon in detail um, and I think that to do that, uh, to really uncover the lifelong impact of pregnancy on the brain, we think we, we have to start thinking big in terms of, of design and collaboration. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one, one design that I would love to eventually do in collaboration with other researchers is to follow up women from motherhood to the old age. Um, I think that would be a dream project to undertake. And I think it requires um, international collaboration yeah. and big data. So I hope uh, we can uh, one day do this. And currently, to achieve this, we are collaborating with several initiatives mm -hmm. that these initiatives, they aim to create a large-scale neuroimaging database of females, which is something that we lack. And these initiatives are the Women's Brain Health Initiative. Uh, this, this initiative is led by Dr. Emily Jacobs. They just founded the initiative and I'm actually doing a postdoc with her next May. So I'm really excited to work on this more. They, um, they have this lab where they, they, they study women's brain health at different um, life transitions. So they have the ability to really understand yeah like the broader aspects of women's <laughs> women's brain health not only the influences yeah, of pregnancy, pregnancy. Yeah. and then there's this other initiative that is part of the enigma project um it's called the enigma neuroendocrinology working group and um, it's led by dr nicole peterson and mm -hmm. it's actually it's uh, open to researchers that want to like that uh, do research on the neuroendocrinology of the female brain and um, 
yeah, this initiative also aims to create like an international collaboration of researchers to mm. understand these questions. So I think that the future of women's brain health is bright and I'm so excited to, to be part of it. I could not end this podcast in, in a better way at all. I think it's the it's the most amazing outlook that we have. And I'm so excited to be part of this step now in research that we're taking and to just see what will come up in the future. And yeah, I'm also super, super, super looking forward to what you will also discover, what kind of research that will come up and what, yeah, how we were slowly trying to understand the female brain too. And I can only thank you for taking your time and telling us about this fascinating field of research and especially as it's just starting now. I hope that we will uncover a lot more about the pregnant brain, but of course also the female brain, also the pregnant brain later on then um, in, in the lifespan of a woman, in mothers and in fathers. And we can then maybe talk about whatever comes up there and what we find there um, on this podcast. As final words, I would like to thank also my fellow PhD candidate, Julia Schutmiak, who supported me also in fact-checking and preparing questions for our talk. And as already briefly discussed in our talk before we started the recording, Julia is currently setting up a study that will investigate postpartum mood disorders, an issue, as you also mentioned, that affects more than two-thirds of women in this period. And she and others will focus on developing and testing innovative approaches that could be used in therapy during this pivotal time, specifically in her case, non-invasive vagus nerve stimulation, which is already used to treat epilepsy, depression or anxiety. And with that, I'm sure that we will also have a conversation about this in the future on this podcast. And to our listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed this talk with Magdalena and as always feel a little bit enlightened or inspired. If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for our topics, we're happy to hear from you and you can contact us as always via mail or Twitter, where you can find all of the details in our show notes from the episode or wherever you're listening. We greatly appreciate if you share this podcast with family, friends or colleagues. And we already look forward to our next episode when we talk about women.